Humanizing History is a show about people in history that have had an impact on our world. We will be exploring what made them important, but our main focus will be on who that person was outside of well-known records. We will be diving deep into who these people were, what they hated, who they loved, and other less known information about their lives. In order to show the world that no one is perfect, we are all human and make mistakes. But that doesn't mean we can't be great and have a profound impact on tomorrow. So that wonderful woman you just heard from was my beautiful wife, Amanda. Hello, Amanda. Hey, Mandy. This is Humanizing History with Cliff and Nick. Nick, how are you? Doing pretty good. How are you doing, Cliff? I'm alright, I'm alright. This is episode four that we're getting into. We uh, we actually recorded episode four last week. Right. And had a, a little... Little technical difficulties. <laughs> it's part of be it's part of being new to the game. You know, you, you're going to learn things, and unfortunately, we learn the hard way. So I was editing a an episode on Sunday, as I always do, and I sounded really weird. It sounded really distant, and we realized that uh, I was being picked up on Cliff's mic and not my own mic. And then whenever he paused, or not paused, but muted to cough, the entire thing flatlined. So I was very upset. But we live, we learn. We're still going to redo that episode. You'll hear it probably in about a week or two. But yeah, I mean, we're, we're in a spot where we can record and have a good time and still put out what we need to put out. Absolutely. So this one will be out a day or two later, depending on how fast I can edit it. Hopefully, hopefully by tomorrow. But, you know, it, it'll come when it comes. Yeah, don't cancel us quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I think we have, what, 15 listeners now? Yeah, we're in South Korea, too. Yeah, Australia. Oh, I didn't see Australia. Yeah, we have, uh, so, so far we have not United States. Okay. Um, South Korea. Okay. Australia and Mexico. Okay. So I was excited to see we're going international. Cool. I think Mexico might, be, might have been my brother. He was on his honeymoon. Okay. And he was in Mexico. I think South Korea, we talked about it. It's my mm-hmm. buddy who's stationed out there. Australia, I have no idea. So, I don't know either. I, I can't think of anybody that I know that lives in Australia. I knew somebody, but I don't think they live there anymore. I'm pretty sure they're back in, like, Virginia. So, well, you know, whatever. Yeah. Or it could have just been a VPN. We could be... It, it could have been. I listen to a lot of podcasts that are from Australia. Okay, yeah. So, I hope we do have Australian listeners, you know, just trading, trading people back and forth. That would be awesome. How was your weekend? Everything go good? It's pretty good. Uh, my family and I went up to Flagstaff. So my parents, uh, my wife and my son, we went up to Flagstaff, went hiking up there. We have a really uh, cool brewery that we go to every time we're up there. So shout out to Dark Sky Brewing. Not a sponsor. If you're ever up in Flagstaff, go check them out. Really good stuff and just a really chill environment. So, And then just did household chores yeah. on Sunday. But nice and relaxing. Good to get away from work. So... It's still kind of hot down here, too, so getting up north is nice. It was beautiful up there. So we were out on the patio at the brewery. We were out at the park. Oh, you know, 70, 80 degrees, breeze. It was awesome. Perfect. We were camping, too. Well, we were camping, but we were up north, uh, a little further northeast. Right, right. But same thing, man. Beautiful at night. It was down in the 50s. Yeah, I'm, I'm sick. I'm sick of the heat. I'm ready for 100-degree weather to go away. <laughs> it is almost October, and we're still talking hundreds. Yeah. For the rest of the world, or you know, even the rest of the U.S., you guys have no idea what we're talking about. Uh, but it, it's winter cannot come soon enough. Yeah, well, it's, it's almost October. Um, it is now 7.20 at night, and it is 93 degrees still. A brisk 93 degrees. Yeah. All right, so this week we're going to be covering somebody that I've always kind of admired. Okay. I'll give you a hint, see if you can guess. One of the wealthiest men in America. Okay. And he's a person on one of our bills that wasn't president. That wasn't president, okay. There's only two of them. Yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about Ben Franklin. You got it right, yeah. I'm trying to think who the other non-president was. So... Small bill. Small bill. So you've got Washington... You've got Lincoln, Hamilton. Bingo. Yeah. Very good, very good. You, you passed the history course. 
I could become a citizen. Yes, all right. Dude, have you ever seen that citizenship? Total tangent. Have you ever seen that citizen exam? Nah. Dude, well, I don't think many Mer- Americans could be citizens if they were trying to come in from outside the U.S. I've heard that, that it's a really, really challenging test. Well, it's not, it's, it's not challenging, but it's like stuff that we just kind of like forgot in school. Like, who are the non-presidents on the dollar bill? I know the family guy made fun of it. <laughs> Peter's taking the, the test, and he's like, land of the free and home of the... And he's like, home of the WAPA? <laughs> <laughs> so he, he failed. Um, but yeah, so we're going to be covering ben, ben Franklin. I've always kind of admired him. He's always had a great work ethic, and he you know started from nothing, mm-hmm. very meager means, and he, he ended up having a net worth of almost $11 million. Wow. In today's In today's money. money. I was just going to ask yes. that. Okay. Yeah, so uh, adjust for inflation, he'd be worth about $11 million today. That's insane. Does oh, yeah. did, did they give a dollar amount of what he was worth back then? No, I couldn't find that. Okay. I couldn't find the original number. Okay. So very, very cool dude, though. To begin with, he was born uh, January 17th, 1706, in what would later become Boston, Massachusetts. He was child number 15 oh. of 17. Oh, that his wow. his father had. Now, that was split between two women. Okay. Still. So he was schooled until he was about age 10. Okay. When his father took him out of school. Okay. Um, he protested he wanted to stay in school, but his father took him out to help run uh, his failing candle and soap shop. Okay. You have a bath and body works. <laughs> Back in the 1700s just seems kind of kind of odd to me. Yeah, whatever. He worked there till he was about 12 years old. Okay. Um, he hated it. It was so boring. He couldn't do anything. It wasn't mentally stimulating for him. He was essentially a genius. Right. So he was sent by his father to work at his brother's print shop. Okay. His brother James, older brother. And that's where he learned how to publish newspapers. He learned about printing. And he really got a start on what would make him his millions. Right, because he he was one of the founders, not founders, but he had a big newspaper right oh yeah in, a few of them okay um so he did have newspapers and this is where he got his start and his idea for all of it he actually has his own font really so i think it's called franklin something it's still used today it's very popular so if i pop up word tomorrow at work i can, you know what maybe i'll do all of my emails tomorrow in franklin, in franklin. i think you should okay <laughs> so yeah he was working with his brother james at james's print shop he his brother was not nice to him Okay. His brother was a typical older brother, but to the extreme. How much older? It was at least, what, six or eight years difference. Right, okay. But he was mean to him. Anytime that he messed up, he beat him. Oh, wow, like, okay. It wasn't just a joke and a rap. He beat him. He wanted the right. And he wrote well, mm-hmm. even as a 12, 14, 15-year-old. But his brother, you know, as a typical brother, didn't want to help him. Didn't want to do anything. So, you know, he signed a contract. You're working for me. Now work for me. Right. So he beat him and... Franklin. I love how you say typical brother. I'm an oldest brother, and I don't beat my brothers. Right, well, you're, you're one of the few. <laughs> Franklin wanted his brother to publish his work. Okay. Um, and it, like I said, it was good work. Mm-hmm. But his brother wouldn't do it. So he found a way around it. Franklin wrote as a woman named Mrs. Silence Do Good. Okay. That's his pseudonym. Okay, I've heard the name, so... And that's only one of a few. He okay. wrote as women quite often. And it was so good that his brother published it in his paper, <laughs> which I thought was just great. So once he figured that he had enough of his brother's tyrannical behavior, and tyrannical is the word he used for it, <laughs> wow. um, towards him, he moved to Boston. Okay. Uh, this is 19... I'm sorry. This is 1723. So really quick. So he was born in Boston? He was born in what would become Boston in 1706. Okay. And then where did he move to for... I believe James's print shop was in Philly. Okay. Philadelphia. And then he moved back to Boston. Then he moved back to Boston in 1723. Okay. From here, he traveled the world. He traveled to London. He traveled to Ireland. He traveled to France. Back and forth multiple times. He found wealth publishing papers and newspapers. And also his book, Poor Richard's Almanac. Okay. Which most people have heard of. It's very famous. He had a lifelong career in politics for both the Crown and the United States. He helped draft the Declaration of Independence. He was an ambassador to France and Sweden. Oh, wow. He was the first postmaster. He was an inventor, a scientist, a Freemason, a lover of women and of beer. Oh, nah. Here, here. What a good American. <laughs> he, 
He was America's first self-help writer, you could say. Okay. Uh, we'll get into that a little bit later. Under the name Ben Franklin, or did he use Yes, okay. under the name Ben Franklin. Not necessarily for other people. It was for himself. He was a business owner, a cartoonist, a commander, a fierce chess player, among just a litany of other professions and hobbies. I mean, we could go on mm-hmm. and on about everything that he did. But let's start off with first his inventions. Do you you know some of his inventions, I assume? Do you know what? I bet you I do, and when you list them off, I'll be like, yeah, I knew that. Okay. But I can't think of, like, I can't think of them off the top of my head. Well, you're wearing a set of them now. Oh, he, okay. Well, maybe now, did he, he, did he invent glasses or no, just bifocals? bifocals. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't think you have bifocals. No, I'm not that old. See. Dude, I know I just turned 30, but I am not that old. You just turned 30? My yes. gosh. Still wet behind the ears. <laughs> it's so funny. Everybody, a lot of people think he invented electricity. Mm-hmm. And... My dad's like, he invented... I'm like, electricity was never invented. <laughs> like, electricity is here. But yeah. we'll talk... You know, I don't want to step on your toes. No, but no, I so thought that was a funny conversation that I had with my dad this weekend for some reason. Everybody... And that's cool that your dad... He was talking to you about Ben Franklin. You're going to yeah. have to tell him, hey, we covered this. Yeah. I wish I would have touched on that. I didn't because everybody knows about the kite. Right. So I left that out completely. Right. Um, he did electrocute a turkey once. Nice. So he tried... He, okay, he attempted... Um, he made a contraption to electrocute a turkey and then cook it using electricity. Okay. The day he tried to do it in front of him, he electrocuted himself and ended up half numb. The turkey <laughs> was fine. So, <laughs> but that was that was one of the very few failed things he did. Okay. But yeah, so to start out, we, we all know he invented the lightning rod. Okay. It protects buildings, you know, from lightning strikes. Right. Bifocal glasses. He invented the Franklin stove. Is that the one that, like, heats up the house? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, you you know, I didn't know this one, but you put it in front of your fireplace and it kind of changes the way that air and and fire is mixed together to blow out heat, and it produces, you know, hotter heat, less smoke, and it's faster. It'll heat your cabin house, whatever, faster. So, they're insane. So, I was in Utah one winter, and the cabin that we stayed at... Had, didn't have any central heating, and we're talking Utah, so it can get below zero there. Sure, yeah. And we had a Franklin stove to heat up the house. Holy cow, I slept in the living room. That night, I was covered in sweat. It was extremely hot. It, even today, standards, it keeps a, a nice-sized cabin warm. And from 200 years ago. Yeah. I mean, so he also invented the flexible catheter. Okay. The catheters were all, already a thing. But his brother had either kidney stones or uh, bladder stones. I couldn't find which one. Mm-hmm. He had a hard time getting them out with the regular standard catheter that was just a rod you jam or you, you need. Like, uh, catheters in general just sound painful. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine just, uh, just a straight, like, non-flexible... You know. In the 1700s yeah. of all things. Yeah, yeah. yeah no, I, I, I'm good. I'll pass. Hard right. pass. So but so he invented this for his brother. It's a bunch of pieces you can put together that you know you can, it's flexible. Mm-hmm. So it really helped his brother out. The coolest thing I found was he also invented what's called the glass harmonica. Okay. Have you heard this? No, I have not. This thing is so cool. The glass harmonica is essentially a bunch of wine glasses stuck inside of each other on a spinning shaft. Okay. You wet your fingers. And then as they're turning, you touch the rims of the glasses to produce sound. Okay, I've like seen that. It's like somebody playing yeah. crystal glasses. Yeah. Except with this, you could do ten glasses, one for each finger at a time, instead of a maximum of two glasses right. with just glasses on a table. Right. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, and it sounds exactly how you think it would sound, like a bunch of glasses being played. It's different, mm-hmm. and it looks really cool. Apparently this was huge back in the day. So Mozart himself wrote a piece to be played on the glass harmonica that Benjamin Franklin wrote. First of all, I thought Mozart was way before Franklin, but okay. Yeah, so did I. I was kind of shocked when I read that. Um, we really need to get back. We, yeah, for doing a history podcast, we know very little about timing of history. Well, it just seems like everything that I've learned in school about, you know, Renaissance and art, I always just picture as like 1200, 1400s. Right. And then I learned that Benjamin Franklin invented that instrument and Mozart played it. And I'm like, wait, didn't he die like 300 years before this? I think this is just me. 
for some reason, in my head, European history happened so much longer ago than American history. So, like, European history happened before the revolution, before all this, and then right when we came along, everything's American history. I know that is totally wrong and so U.S.-centric. <laughs> it is. But that in my head, that's how it all works. So all of you people in Australia and South Korea, you probably are just rolling your eyes at me right now. <laughs> all one of you. All one of you, yes. And you're probably just an American on a base, so... Shortly after he made this piece, rumors began to circulate that his new instrument was a threat to the public's health. So a periodical named... I'm going to butcher this. It's in German. One periodical named Allegmin Musical Sklee? (laughs) Zitun? Fire me, sorry. Actually wrote, quote... The harmonica excessively stimulates the nerves, plunges the player into a nagging depression, and hence into a dark and melancholy mood. This is an apt method for slow self-annihilation. What? Yes. I would love to see the case studies around that. Like, how do you get studies. how do you get that data? <laughs> There's zero <laughs> case studies. It's just some guy didn't like the way it sounds. And he's like, I know it's vibrating, so ah. My ears are bleeding. Do you like that? Nine. <laughs> Call to the Krakenwagen. Um, which actually that makes me think. Years ago, I'm sitting on my wife's mother's, my, sorry, my, my mother-in-law's back patio with the whole family. Yeah. And my kid was really little. Um, we're all out there drinking and talking and having a good time. And I thought it was funny. I changed Siri on my phone to German. Mm-hmm. And the only German word that I knew, other than nine, was Krakenwagen, which means ambulance. <laughs> ambulance, yeah. So I set it to Siri, and my phone's set to German, I go, Krakenwagen. <laughs> and it, call it nine called 911. Ah! And I'm like, oh no. So I hit a button to cancel it, but I didn't know which one was canceled because it was in German. And so I'm like, uh, and I just picked one. Luckily, it was the right one. 911 called me back, and they're like... Excuse me, sir, what happened? What's the phone number? And I'm like, I blamed on my kid. I'm like, sorry, my kid was playing with my phone. Because otherwise I had to admit I'm a moron. I was playing around with my phone in German. <laughs> Only said ambulance. and Yeah, so. <laughs> in any case. Gosh. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the harmonica sounds like crystal glass is being played. Um, but it sounds like ten of them. It, it's interesting. Okay. Look on YouTube for it. You can still find um, people play it to this day. Really? So, oh, yeah, yeah, Absolutely. All I can think of, and, and I'm going to sound like such a such a little wuss when I say this, the movie Miss Congeniality. I don't know if you've ever seen that. A long time ago. Sandra Bullock's in her like her German little outfit playing the the little things. All I can think of is <laughs> Benjamin Franklin in this little skirt, just <laughs> with his bald long hair <laughs> and his bifocals. <laughs> um. He also invented, this is the coolest thing, he invented his own phonetic alphabet. Okay. Okay. So Hooked on Phonics would have been worlds different if, if he did this. Mm-hmm. Um, he got rid of what he calls useless letters, like C, J, Q, W, X, and Y, <laughs> while adding letters that represent SH, so SH, NG, so N, and TH. Okay. There's a sample of this alphabet. It's on, I found it on Wikipedia. You know, you can find it all over the internet if you just look for Benjamin Franklin's phonetic alphabet. And it'll show you. It also gives a sample that he wrote in this alphabet to somebody. Mm-hmm. And I tried to read it. It hurt my head. Because <laughs> I know the words that he's trying to write. Right. But the way he wrote it, it was like somebody who is texting in a language that's not native to them. Okay. While they're drunk. <laughs> it's so weird. So I, I, I'll put it in the show notes okay. so you guys can see yeah. the letter that he wrote and just try to try to sound it out. It, it hurts your mind. In 1787, Franklin designed the first official United States coin. One side depicted 13 linked circles symbolizing the colonies with the motto, We Are One. The inscription on the other side of the coin read, Mind Your Business, which... I just love. So those were just some of his inventions. He had a bunch, and he never patented any of them. Was there a reason behind that? If he could help somebody out with it, it was necessary. That By this time, he also was already very wealthy. Mm-hmm. So he didn't care. Right. But he figured he could help somebody out with it. He could help the world with it. So he might as well do it. 
So he never patented a single invention. That's crazy. Yeah. You wonder how patent law was even at that time. Like, could it really hold, you know, in court, or was it like, or you know, who's going to track these things? You know, today we ha- it's the system is, you know, all electronic. Everything sure. is tracked and guarded, and you know, you can know everything so quickly. So it'd be interesting to see how patents worked back then. There were still laws. There were still courts. Right. I assume that if you wanted to, you could take somebody to court over it. Yeah. I just think it would take longer. Now we come to this, I like to call this, everyone has skeletons in their closet. Ben Franklin had them in his basement. Oh, jeez, okay. <laughs> so Benjamin Franklin lived at 36 Craven Street in London for about 20 years. Uh, this is right before signing the Declaration of Independence. Okay. In 1998, repairs were being done to the property in an attempt to turn it into like a Franklin Museum. Okay. And while they're doing this, they found over 1,200 pieces of bones. Okay. In his basement. Uh, there was a like three foot by three foot pit that they found over 12 bodies, 12 different people's bones. Yeah, I figured. Them. Yeah. At least six of them were children. Oh, geez. And all of them were from the time Franklin lived there. Oh, my gosh. So. My first thought is, Benjamin Franklin is a serial killer. <laughs> you know, and he buried the bodies in his in his basement. Right. Uh, unfortunately, most historians disagree with me. I think they'd make a great story, but they say he had a friend living with him uh, named Will- William Hewson. Okay. And he was learning anatomy okay. in the basement. Okay. So he would find corpses. Well, back in the day, trying to get a hold of fresh corpses to learn anatomy on was very difficult because uh, you couldn't go out and dig them yourselves legally. Right. right. And the only people that you were legally allowed to cut up, operate on, were uh, criminals mm-hmm. after they were hung or, you know, however right. they got rid of them. So trying to find bodies was difficult. Right. So what he would do is he'd go out and pay somebody to rob a grave for him of a fresh cadaver, or he'd go out and do it himself, bring it back, you know, drill into the head, do whatever he's going to do, learn about it. And then bury it yeah. in the basement there so he didn't risk bringing it back out of the house. Right. So it's crazy how much grave robbing was a huge part of life in that type of, in that day and age, in both Europe and the US. There's a great podcast by Aaron Mankey, Lore. Mm. And there's an episode that's Love all that. about grave robbing. And how different universities would just go and if, if your like loved one was buried near a medical university, good luck. You're, you probably would go to the grave and it was gone. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it, it's insane. But it just goes into that idea of science before recent, even in recent times. If you're going to be innovative, sometimes, and I hate saying this, you almost have to, if you look at it in hindsight, it's so awful and so, you know, animalistic and things like that. For instance, me and my wife were watching something on uh, lobotomy. And we look at that today and go, oh my God, like, how could anybody ever do that to somebody? But then you think about it, we probably wouldn't be where we are today without those people taking those extreme steps and trying these awful things. Absolutely. Digging up bodies to... But it looks so bad, but unfortunately, somebody had to take that step. So you know what Operation Paperclip is, right? I do not. Operation Paperclip is when World War II ended. All of the Nazi scientists were split between America and okay. Russia. Okay, I didn't know that's what it was called, but I know. Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm fairly certain. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's called Operation Paperclip. So science, for us getting to the moon, rocketry, you know, healthcare stemming from evil evil men doing evil things helped us learn Mm -hmm. more about humanity and our bodies and then you know of course science also so it's terrible what happened but i mean i guess there's silver lining in everything we were able to learn and save lives because of what they did Mm -hmm. so very much the same thing yeah you know so my ancestors may have been dug up shortly after they were put down right but hopefully it helped us learn do you think Benjamin Franklin was just a, a serial killer? Maybe <laughs> these are the Freemason sacrifices? Of course. From, yeah. Well, it's children, so, you know, the, <laughs> the blood of children is yeah. what their sacrifices were all about. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, the only reason I think is maybe he wasn't is his house is here. We haven't found any bodies, so. 
Right. You know, I don't think you can scratch that itch and then stop doing it once you start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was those. Those are the skeletons in his basement. Yes. So Franklin thought flip flops were cool. Flip flops. Flip flops. Did he call them thongs? No. <laughs> wrong flip flops. Oh, okay. So I'm talking flip flops like he thought this idea, and then he flip flops. Gotcha. So he well he was a polit to an extent a politician. So that's just in his nature. Yes, but when he flipped, he flopped. Okay. I mean, it, it, this isn't just wavering. This is, he had this idea and he believed in it, and all of a sudden, nope, I believe in this idea now. Right. 100%. Okay. So, Franklin was content to be under control of the crown, uh, and he was very loyal to them. He had benefited from British rule for a solid chunk of his life by holding royal duties and appointments, and while he was living in London, he seemed to not worry much about any revolution. He had a very accommodationist stance. So he would rather us be happy and hold hands Kumbaya. than have bloodshed, okay. right? Which I can understand. Right, that makes complete sense. Yeah. He was even quoted saying once, every mistake in government, every encroachment on rights is not worth a rebellion. Right? Okay. So not something I ever thought he would say. Yeah, especially for a founding father, which yes. are risking their lives, but okay. Yeah, and this is while he was trying to advocate for a peaceful resolution between the two gotcha. nations. Gotcha, okay. That was his stance until he witnessed how the middle class people in the colonies were being treated. They were beating just so poorly by their governors, which are still under, you know, British rule. Mm -hmm. But more importantly, he was upset with how they were taxed and how he himself was taxed. So, just like a lot of Americans back then, you know, Boston Tea Party, <clears throat> they don't like tax. Right. So, was he being taxed less? Was he being taxed? Was he not... Did he not like the way he was being taxed, or was he? did he not like the way he was being taxed compared to the middle class? So, no. He didn't like the way anybody was being taxed. Okay. He felt it was far too much. Okay. It was very, very... There was a lot of overreach. People were so surprised by his flop when he went from you know, British loyalist almost, to hardcore American patriot, that they figured he was just a spy. Interesting, okay. So, but, like I said, when he flipped, he flipped hard. Mm -hmm. So, if Franklin was alive today, I just picture him as the dude standing in front of the Capitol with an AR-15, <laughs> with a Gadsden flag over his shoulder, you know, and standing slogans like, those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. And it is first responsibility of every citizen to question authority. And lastly, security without liberty is called prison. All of these are his quotes. So like I said, when he flipped man, it was, it was to max. He was appointed a member of the committee that drafted the Declaration of Independence. Okay. He was sent to France later on to seek aid for our rebellion, okay. which he got. Yes. He also negotiated the Treaty of Paris, which ended the revolution. Okay. Well, America won, in case you didn't know. Did we know? We did, Okay. Yes. Later, he would push his fellow de delegates to ratify the U.S. Constitution. Okay. So he was, you know, British loyalist, and then he was just hardcore American. Right. So, like I said, he, he wasn't a typical politician that, you know, say one thing, do another. He did what he said, and he was loyal to who he was loyal to until he gave him a reason not to be, and he, you know, became loyal to the winning side. I wish people were more okay with that. Because I feel like in today's society, and this is this is probably because I've seen so many political ads in the last two weeks, I want to <laughs> jump off a cliff. But it's so funny when they, regardless of the party, will go, well, this person said this 20 years ago, and now they believe this. It's like, oh my gosh, people change their minds. Yeah. Like, it's okay. They can think like that 20 years ago, and whatever they say now, that's probably what they believe now. And this is this is living proof that even good people switch. Absolutely. They change their mind, and that's that's great. Be a free thinker. Listen to other people. Get ideas, and it's okay that your ideas change. Just Absolutely. because your just because your ideas change doesn't make you weak. It doesn't make you wrong. It, it just means it, no. It shows that you've you've grown. You've listened to others, and. You yes. Sorry, I'm on my soapbox right now. It is a okay to change, and I encourage people to listen to other people and have their minds change. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Thank God that we don't have the same opinions we had 20 years ago. Oh yeah. I was a moron 20 years ago. I was 10. <laughs> okay, so I was 13. Like I mean, obviously smarter than you at 13. You know, mm -hmm. than 10. 
But, oh my gosh, yeah. If we don't change, then we don't grow. Right. And we just stagnate as a society. Right. If Benjamin Franklin had a theme song, it would be I Get Around by the Beach Boys. Okay. So, Franklin had what he called a strong libido from a very early age that he found very difficult to control. He stated, The hard-to-be-governed passion of my youth had hurried me frequently into intrigues with low women that fell in my way. <laughs> Essentially saying, you know, I'm so randy I get with with the hookers. The hookers and, yeah. Sorry if your little ears heard that. So, okay. And maybe you'll go into this. Was he attractive? Like, because whenever I think of Benjamin Franklin, I think of this fat old dude... Who was bald? Who had that you know big old bald spot with like semi long hair? Yeah. So he, was he, he ever in the eyes of that society attractive? So what was attractive back then was different. Okay. Benjamin Franklin was described as portly and bald. Okay. So he was a hefty dude. All the statues, pictures of him, that's what he looked like. There's okay. no, you know, artistic freedom that they took. <laughs> Artistic freedom. I'm going to make him fat. <laughs> yeah. So, but what women found attractive about him was he was a deep thinker. Mm-hmm. And he would engage you in conversation. A lot of women that he, I say slept with, but I don't mean actually had relationships with. He would sleep in the same room with women and be friends with them because of the deep conversation that, that he gave there were a lot of women that he stayed with, that he lived with, that he would sleep in the same room with, that he never had sexual encounters with. They were just really good friends, which is very hard to believe once I start going through this. But he he was a celebrity, essentially, also. Okay. Known worldwide. Okay. And he was wealthy. Yeah. That's saying something. Mm-hmm. You've seen pictures of guys that, you know, weigh 300 pounds and are standing next to a woman that's a third his age and... Yeah, a lot of women's favorite colors green, so. So, yeah. And I'm sure it goes the other way around, oh, too, yeah. with, with, what are they called, silver foxes? Silver? Oh, yeah, that's true, yeah. <laughs> so, that that may have had something to do with it mm-hmm. also. So, but we start real early. This is shortly after leaving his brother's print shop. He okay. moved. This is shortly after leaving his brother's print shop. He had began a relationship with Deborah Reed. This was his landlord's daughter at the time. Now, before he cared to wed her, to, to marry her, he left to England for a job working in printing. He, quote, partied, drank, and whored around <laughs> in London with his good friend James Ralph. Okay. This friendship was ended, however, when Benjamin Franklin started making advances to Ralph's mistress. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the what would become the U.S., Deborah Reed had moved on with her life. She had married another man who ended up taking the wedding dowry, left to the Indies, where it was rumored he died, but no proof ever came of it. <laughs> Wait, so he married her, took the money, and ran? Yes, he took her dowry from marrying her. Right, and, right, right. And drove off. He was a gambler, so he, he, you know, boated off, I guess, to the West Indies, where he gambled and whored and drank and, you know. So Franklin spent several years during this time courting wealthy ladies in London, and trying to snag a wife that would come with a sizable dowry. (laughs) While also having short interactions with mistresses here and there. One of which became pregnant. Okay. When Franklin came back to the colonies, he fell back in with Deborah, but he was never able to, to marry her. Now that he wanted to, he couldn't. Because her husband, nobody knows if he's alive or dead, and he's just not present. So she wasn't legally allowed to. Exactly. So, and at this time, uh, polygamy is what would have happened. Polygamy was punishable by life in prison. Oh, wow. Yes. So they moved in together and became common law married, which Mm -hmm. was legal. And this was totally fine with him. He needed a mother figure to watch his son. This is now Deborah. And he also wanted a woman to be at home ready to appease his sexual appetite. Okay. In his own words. Okay. He figured it was easier to have Deborah, this woman that he described as a beer mug. Okay. He would rather have her at home so that he could get his... So he was sowing his oats elsewhere or at home? While he was in America as a kid, he met, he, he messed around. Yeah. 
And then he met Deborah, was steady with her for a little while. Then he moved to England. So she remarried, and during this time that he's in England, that's where he, quote, you know, hoard around. Right, right. Then he moved back to America and got back in with Deborah. Okay. Now this is early on in their life still. With Deborah, he fathered two more children. One of them was named Francis Folger Franklin. <laughs> I wrote in my notes, poor kid. Yes. Like, but unfortunately, uh, he died at age four. Very, very young from oh. smallpox. The other child was Sarah, who outlived Benjamin. He had a very hard relationship with her. Okay. He kind of ignored his children up until he was older. Okay. So she came, he allowed her back into his life, later on in life, and she was one of the people that was next to him when he passed away. Oh, wow. Okay. So later on, Franklin was sent back to France, and this was like sending a vampire into a blood bank. <laughs> <laughs> so he was already famous for his adventures, his published works, his political prowess, and his money. Yeah. And here he found himself surrounded by beautiful young French women that adored him and his image. Okay. Among these ladies, I'm going to I'm going to massacre these again. These are now French, another language I don't speak. Yes. So please forgive me. Among these, very few, <laughs> Anna Louise de Hardecourt, Brion de Uy, Madame Toussaint, Countess de Hadat, and Madame Helvetius. <laughs> I doubt you got any of those correct. <laughs> I might have gotten Madame right. <laughs> yeah, probably. So, those are just a few that are named. Mm -hmm. He ran around. Okay. We think Frank Sinatra got around from last episode. This dude puts him to shame. <laughs> At an older age and probably 100 pounds heavier. Right. right. What was fascinating about him also is that he was a vegetarian for, for parts of his life. So around the age of 16, he had made a decision to become a vegetarian after just reading a book rec recommending a vegetarian diet. Okay. I don't think I could do this just after reading a book, but... Mm -hmm. He did, like I said, when he flipped, he flopped. Mm -hmm. So he found that he could save money by not buying meat okay. or dairy products, which okay. is smart. Which is true even today. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So he would instead spend the extra money that he had, that he had saved, on books. So he, he had a bigger appetite for knowledge than he did for food. Okay. So he used that extra money to buy books, just book after book after book. So along with it being cheaper, he also found that it left him clear-headed. Okay. So he said that after he would eat a vegetarian dish, he was far more clear-headed and, and eager to get up and move around. No than, meat sweats. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> than when he was gut-loaded with you know beef. Right. Which I can totally understand. Oh, yeah. Now, he wasn't 100% a vegetarian. Okay. He, in his autobiography, he writes how he would resist temptation to eat meat until he saw a large fish being cut open and they found smaller fish in that fish's stomach. So he thought, quote, if you eat another, I don't see why we mayn't eat you. So he was in his, a vegetarian okay. till he got tired of it. Right. He, you know, wasn't necessarily like a member of PETA mm -hmm. where he's like, oh, don't hurt animals. But he figured, you know, why should I eat this animal? It hasn't done anything to right. me. Right. And then one day he's walking through a fish market and he sees a fish gutted and right. a little fish fall out and he goes, oh. If you eat fish, I can eat fish too. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. One of the things I found just fascinating about him, though, was his constant strive for excellence. Okay. He was an advocate for what he calls republicanism. It's a philosophy that focuses in on how you act towards others. So it believes in individual liberty and responsibility. It expects you to be virtuous and faithful, and it rejects and vilifies corruption. So all things that, you know, I think all of us should, mm -hmm. you know, stand for. He wrote, quote, I wished to live without committing any fault at any time. So that just, to me, speaks of his desire to be a, you know, a, a better person than he is. He spoke five languages. Okay, I'd imagine. Yeah, well, you think he has to. Yeah, because yeah. he spoke French. Obviously spoke French. Yeah. English, so there's two. American. American. <laughs> um, I would guess Spanish. He spoke Spanish. Uh... Did he speak any sort of, like, Native American? He did not. Okay. I thought he would. That surprised me that he didn't. Okay. 
So I got three so far. We have English, Spanish, French, French, German. No. Okay. So, but he did. So th- that's odd, though. You think he would also, but right. He spoke Italian. Okay. And Latin. Franklin wrote. This is where the self-help book I said, you know, earlier comes in. He wrote his quote thirteen values. Now these are temperance. Eat not to dullness, drink not to elevation. Which he failed at often. Drink not to elevate, so like don't get drunk? Don't get drunk. Okay. Essentially, yeah. Silence. Speak but... Silence. Speak not but what may benefit others or yourself. Avoid trifling conversation. Okay. So, you know, golden rule. Right. Good stuff. Yeah. Order. Let all things have their place. Let each part of your business have its time. Okay. Every time I read this, all I can think of is every OSHA meeting I've ever been to. (laughs) They have the poster, and it says, A place for everything and everything in its place. So, resolution. Resolve to perform what you ought. Perform without fail what you resolve. Okay. Frugality. Make no expense but to do good to others or yourself. Industry, lose no time, be always employed in something useful, cut off all unnecessary actions. He lived by this. Okay. Because he was literally employed from the time he was 10 mm-hmm. until he died. Like, he just was. I think it's interesting. Like, one of his self-help things is frugality, yet you ended up founding a nation that 200 plus years later is the least frugal out of probably anywhere in the world. That's true. Yeah. And he's also on the $100 bill. That's true. <laughs> Which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, because when you're talking about a lot of money and making it rain, it's always... Benjamins. You've got to bring the Benjamins. <laughs> he, he was frugal for most of his life. When he was in Paris, he spent a lot of money because he wanted the fanciest clothes. He was peacocking in <laughs> Paris. Sincerity. Use no hurtful deceit. Think innocently and justly. And if you speak, speak accordingly. Justice. Wrong none by doing injuries or omitting the beliefs that are your duty. Moderation. Avoid extremes. Forbear resenting inquiries so much that you think they deserve. Cleanliness. Tolerate no uncleanliness in the body, cloths, or habitation. My wife probably wishes I... uh... Stuck to that one a little bit more. Yeah? Yeah. So when, which one? <laughs> Clothes? No. <laughs> no, I'm just like picking up around the house and, oh, I get the dirty looks all the time. Whenever, honestly, the one thing we fight about is, the, is cleanliness. It's like, I, I'm a pretty clean guy, but, you know, for her, cleanliness is next to godliness. And, yeah. I get it. I, I found that, I've been married a little longer than you yeah. have. I found that it's... It's easier just to take the few seconds to throw in the laundry basket than it is to leave it on the floor. Yeah. But it took me a long time to learn that. <laughs> a long time. And I'm sure that if you asked my wife, if you, we brought her in here and said, hey, you know, what do you think? Is Cliff clean? She'd be like, well, he leaves dishes here and well, he does this <laughs> and well, he does that. So not toot my own horn. Tranquility. Be not disturbed at trifles or accidents common or unavoidable. I need tranquility in my life because I tell you what, the littlest thing sets me up. Oh, yeah. I, uh, chastity. <laughs> Rarely use venery, but for health or offspring. Never to dullness, weakness, or the injury of your own or another's peace or reputation. So when I first read that, I was thinking chastity in a different light. Okay, okay. <laughs> Humility. Imitate Jesus and Socrates. Okay. So with this list, he would actually carry around a tally sheet. That showed days of the week, and then these 13 virtues. Wow, so he was really into it. He was into it, and literally a piece of paper with him written on it. And he would make a mark next to the virtues that he violated that day. While keeping his mind, his goal was to have fewer marks the following day. So he would continually try to adhere to the standards he set, even though he knew he would never reach perfection. Earlier on in his life, he did have slaves. So okay. while he was a younger man, he had, I think, up to seven. A couple okay. of them worked in the house. He was always very good to them. Still, he had Still slaves. slaves. But later on, he became an absolute abolitionist. 
and spoke out against slavery. Which is really early. Yes. This is in the 1770s. Right. So we were talking about how we thought, you know, Abraham Lincoln was great for his, what we thought was an abolitionist yeah. stance. Franklin was living it in the 1770s. Yeah. In the mid-1770s, Franklin, along with Ben Rush, actually founded the Pennsylvania Society for Promoting the Abolition of Slavery. Wow. Yes. Okay. He would write letters to Congress stressing the importance of abolishing slavery. And one of them, quote, Though I never arrived at the perfection I had been so ambitious of obtaining, but fell so far short of, yet I was, by the endeavor, a better and happier man than I otherwise should have been if I had not attempted it. So again, he wanted to do so much good, even though he was constantly tempted, mm -hmm. you know, by himself, by others, by everything. He still strived to be better than he was, which I think all of us can learn from. Yeah. To bring this to a close, Benjamin Franklin died April 17th, 1790, at the age of 84, when an abscess in one of his lungs burst, and he slowly suffocated, oh, drowning oh. in his own blood. Horrible way to go. And how old was he? He was 84. Wow, that's, I mean, to today's standard, that's old. That, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's higher than the average living age now. Right. The average right now is, what, 82? Well, I think it's low 70s. Is it low 70s? I, I don't know. I'm not sorry. Maybe high 70s. Um, I, yeah, we'll have to check it out. But. I think so. I'm pretty sure for a minute it's 78 or 80. Yeah. Women, I want to say it's 80, 82. But tell us. Let us know. Yeah. Uh, he's buried now next to his common-law wife, Deborah. There were over 20,000 people that attended his funeral. What I want to know is, is he still buried next to his wife? Or did somebody dig him up for, <laughs> <laughs> for experiments? You never know. So he lives on as the face of the $100 bill. He lives on in the minds of American entrepreneurs who want to open anywhere near the amount of businesses he did mm -hmm. and, and successful businesses. He lives on as a founding father of this great nation of ours. And he lives on as a symbol of American ingenuity. His mark is obvious. Everywhere you look, you see him as the face of countless companies. We all know his quotes. We still use his inventions. We still read his writings. Right. Poor Richard's Almanac is still out. Mm -hmm. I think that you'd be very hard-pressed to find a person alive today that couldn't find some inspiration in the life of Benjamin Franklin. Right. Yeah, man, that's... that's he, he did so much for this country. And it, I, I didn't realize how much he did for, you know, not just the U.S., but also his... I didn't realize he had so many interactions with England and France and Sweden and all, you know, all those different areas as well. So he really was, you know, a renaissance man, kind of. 100%. And this, this is... I know we say this a lot, but this is just him scratching the surface. Right. He did so much. I could, I could expand upon this and turn this into a podcast on itself. Mm -hmm. The Benjamin Franklin podcast. Right. Because this could go on forever. Right. He did so much. And so much of it was good. Looking into everything that we have been, we've looked into a bunch of different people's pasts. He's one of the few that he's still a hero of mine. Right. He had faults. All of us do. But his were so minute and minuscule compared to some of the other folks that we, we've covered and mm -hmm. read about that I can still happily say total hero. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, and that's one thing is, you know, a lot of times we look into these people and it's like, oh, crap, can I even look at this person the same? Like, Henry Ford, that one, it's so hard for me to look at him the same after doing the podcast on him. Same here. With Ben Franklin, I hate saying this, but I think there's been a lot of men in history that have gone out and been with lots of women not saying that that's right but i feel like that's one of the more forgivable things or you know in in the eyes of society then it takes two to tango right right exactly and what really stood out to me the most in this is his uh, abolitionist stance i had no idea that he was that hardcore into it and he was probably i don't want to say this out of place but he was probably one of the people that why there was so much contention on the constitution of the idea of slavery, he was probably one of the people fighting against it and wanting to abolish it within the Declaration of Independence and, and the Constitution. And especially after covering Lincoln, how important that document is on. And, yes. and actually, one of the reasons why probably abolishing slavery was a little slower than it could have been was because of that. And I bet you he was one of the people that tried to push it 
at that point. But that's really cool. I mean, I definitely give him props for that and look at him better for that. All that he had done in the mid 1770s. So this is before the Declaration of Independence mm-hmm. was signed. Mm-hmm. So he was probably really one of the guys that believed back then. We believe everyone's equal, right? Because a lot of the founding fathers, yeah, it was written down. They signed it, but it doesn't mean they believed it. Right? They didn't live it. Right? He lived it. Or granted, he had slaves in the past. You know, when he was younger, he learned from that mistake. Right. And he grew. Right. And then he took a stance against it. So yeah, that was Benjamin Franklin. Yeah, I mean, I think it was cool to like I like I mentioned, you know, just the fact that uh, he he did travel the world. He, I didn't realize how many inventions he had and how many I experienced. You know, uh, his stove, lightning rod. I know those are really things that we don't necessarily deal with on a daily basis, but things like glasses and bifocals and things that are still used to this day. Like your glass harmonica. Of course. That's that (laughs) my, one of my prize pieces in my office is my glass harmonica. Absolutely. And you know, I'm going to probably make a YouTube channel dedicated to that. Are you going to play Mozart's song? Of course. Good deal. Good deal. Uh, Please get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. I know I would. Me, not so much. I'm kind of the old cranky guy on the lawn. Get off get off our podcast. I'm just kidding. No, uh, <laughs> we would love to hear from you guys. And I think one big thing is sometimes it's hard for us to figure out who we are going to be covering next. So we really want to hear from you guys on who you want to learn more about. If you have any juicy stories about history that maybe not the common person knows. Give us a shout. Let us know. We would love to hear you guys. And Cliff, what are some ways that you can uh, get a hold of us? Well, you can get a hold of us uh, through email at humanizinghistory at gmail.com. You can always find us on Twitter at humanizingpod. We are on Reddit, r slash humanizing underscore history. You can find us on Instagram at humanizinghistory. And on Facebook, we are Humanizing History. Cool. Well, we, we want to hear from you guys and, and just let us know. Uh, and reminder, you know, at the beginning of this podcast, you probably heard an awesome, awesome intro by Cliff's wife, Amanda. If you would like to be a part of the show and get your introduction onto the show, please send us your recording at Anchor and we'll have that uh, in the show notes. Absolutely, I can add that in there. So we will have a little snippet of what we want you to say. Just please, you know, go on Anchor and record it for us and send it in. And uh, we'll pick a new person every week to be uh, the start of our podcast. Awesome. Well, Cliff, uh, I appreciate you going over Ben Franklin. I learned a lot today. Yeah, I hope you have a great week, everybody. And uh, thanks for joining Humanizing History. Absolutely. Love each other. Be nice. You know, go get your 13 virtues on. Peace, love, and tranquility. Bingo and chastity. We'll see you guys next week.